it sort of lit that fire a little bit when you know you've got something that's special, something that's going to, you know, change the market and really engage with clients, which is ultimately what our job is in advertising is to make sure we're creating engaging content. This was a winner and we didn't get to do it, but every opportunity I have now to concept or sell or produce something like that, I give it my all. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome to the CEO Sessions, hosted by Ben Fanning. And here's Ben. Hello, people out there among the podcast world. Welcome back to the CEO Sessions. I've got a great one in store for you today with Simon Sikorsky, who's the CEO at Craft Worldwide, which is part of McCann Worldwide. They're a global advertising company and a content production agency with a network of over 1,300 producers, designers, photographers, linguists, and technologists. Simon has over 25 years of experience in marketing communications and has worked with some of the world's biggest brands that you've heard of, including Intel, ExxonMobil, Coca-Cola, and Microsoft. He's got a Bachelor's of Commerce degree from McMaster University. Simon, welcome to the CEO Sessions. Thanks for having me. So let's dive in here. In your world, you probably run across a lot of celebrities. Who are some of the more quirky ones that you've run into? Oh, man, we get a lot of celebrities in, in my world, advertising production. Just you saying that reminds me, uh, early on in my career, I did a shoot with Leslie Nielsen from Naked Gun fame. It was fascinating. He was the same character in real life as he was in the Naked Gun shows. And, you know, I remember he used to carry around this whoopee cushion with him. And he, you know, at the age of 74 or whatever he was at that time, still thought that that was a hilarious gag to drop the whoopee cushion in behind somebody. So. Yeah, we, we've come across a few, but that's a memorable one for sure. Oh, that, yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, Leslie's, so, you know, such a character and I love it. He was the same person in person as he was in the movie. I mean, uh, I think it's awesome that a 74-year-old celebrity is carrying around a whoopee cushion as a gag. I mean. You know what? I don't think we're, none of us are too old to be playful. That's the lesson there, right? <laughs> a great leadership lesson. Try yeah. the whoopee cushion in your next staff <laughs> meeting, which brings yeah. us. To my next question, which is, I understand you're bringing people back to the office in, in, in some form or fashion right now. For those listeners tuning in right now, we're actually, we think towards the tail end of the pandemic, many organizations have been remote during this time period and people are starting to go back to the office. What's your take on that? And uh, what do you think leaders should be thinking about? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a topic of the day, right? Like the hybrid working, what's our new normal? And it's so interesting. People really got settled in in their new working from home routines. It'll be interesting to see whether they come back full-time or hybrid or working remotely, how they readjust to what's about to come. Because I, like you, I'm optimistic that we're, we've reached the, the back end of COVID. I'm knocking on wood as I say that, but I think the how are people going to adjust to, you know, not just getting up and going down to their basement or their kitchen table and flipping on their computer to, to get to the first meeting? You know, there are commutes involved. There are um, considerations about 
like, hey, am I going to get back from my kid's soccer game, which we've all, you know, been benefiting from having been part of our kids' lives again. So I think it's going to be really interesting where we are. And it varies in our studios around the world. There are different kind of degrees of acceptance, but uh, I'm in New York and we started the process of coming back where we're definitely gearing up to a more hybrid work environment. And I think that's right. I think the, the one thing that we're going to have to figure out when this happens is how are we going to create this new balance? How are we going to do that? And and how are we going to do it on an individual level? Because I'll tell you, there are some people who can't wait to get back. And there are other people who really don't ever want to see an office again. And we're going to have to create a new equilibrium somehow with that. Yeah. And, and it's add on top of that, the great resignation where employees have a lot more pull now. And, and they probably have for a while in more creative industries anyway, but kind of universally now. Uh, employees maybe have more of a say and leverage you know, in, in a lot of organizations. And so, yeah, what are the questions that, that you're pondering when you start thinking about, okay, what's right for the business to get the most creative work from the employees and help them you know, maintain the craft culture versus accommodating their personal preferences? I can totally relate to being able to attend, attend and coach soccer games that whereas before I was traveling more and didn't get to do as much. So from your perspective, how are you thinking through that? Well, look, creative industries are based on people collaborating. And, and I'm a big believer that the best collaboration always happens face to face. It's been tough for the last two years, really, really tough. We've maintained it. We've been able to do it, but it hasn't been perfect. And I think what we're going to find is maybe our, our workspace becomes more of that creative collaboration space rather than just, hey, I'm sitting at my desk. I'm going to be on a Zoom or a Teams call, whatever it is. I could do that from home. But what I can't do really genuinely from home is sit in a room with two or three other people and start to spitball ideas and mm -hmm. really build on those ideas in the same way again when we're sitting face to face. So I, I think it's it's going to become again it's about creating that balance and equilibrium. But we're we're really focused on you know making our offices an opportunity for people to come together, be collaborative, be creative together, and it'll be it'll be a different kind of environment. But in fact, I think it might be filled with a little bit more energy. You know, people sitting at desks, there's going to be a new way for us to do that work. I like to think, uh, yeah, I really like that response because you're really looking at the workflow and how people work best in different activities. And you mentioned creativity and spitballing. Of course, that's better in person. And you're, it sounds like you're thinking about the workspace design to facilitate that. And then maybe the more independent style work, they can do that remotely. Is, is that how you're trying uh, to do it? A little bit, but there are going to be different ways to cut it, right? Like even, you know, I think about how we collaborate through through Teams platform in our office, and there will be occasions where we have three people in the office, but two people are still at home. We've had to rethink our meeting rooms to be able to accommodate that kind of setup. I think the one thing we've probably learned over the last two years is there's not a whole lot of black and white in this, and we're going to have to figure out the gray. The good news is, is I think we figured out pretty quickly two years ago how to work from home. I think we'll probably get into the groove in our new hybrid working world in the same way. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, I like what you said. There's no black or white. We're all in the gray. We've got to make the gray work here. <laughs> and it is yeah, challenging. I mean, I do a lot of speaking and training. And as we, I've been go going back more in person, in-person events, every single event, has had at least a few or sometimes several people remotely. And so the technology at the hotels or the conference centers has always been interesting to figure out how you can effectively reach the people in the room 
which hasn't changed as much. But how do you also at the same time reach those that are remotely? And if you're in a collaborative situation, it's even more interesting. And how do you how do you do that on a dodgy Wi-Fi in a hotel convention center yes. somewhere? That's when, even more challenging. Yeah, the one bit of advice I have for our listeners, if you're in that situation, make sure you get there very early or the night before and you have a technology powwow with everybody involved. So you can do the test run. So let's let's fast forward. So I ran across an article you had written all about sustainability and production. And I hadn't really thought about production, number one, being such a resource-intensive process and then the past. And it sounds like you're really taking a stand on increasing sustainability in production. And I'm curious, so maybe you can share us a little bit about that, but it really seems like you're trying to navigate your industry and your company through some pretty big changes right now. What advice do you have for really any leader who's up against maybe some things that are very traditional in their industry or in their company, and they need to be able to navigate their company through this change? I'm going to say something here that might be counterintuitive for a couple of people, but I don't think you need to boil the ocean every day. I think, you know, you no pun make intended steps. with climate change. <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah. I guess that's maybe <laughs> that's maybe not a not reference on climate change. We definitely no, don't need but, to boil the ocean. No, but look, you're not going to be able to do everything all at once. And, you know, we were having a conversation just last week with some, some clients and we we're just saying, let's just make tomorrow better than today. And then we're going to find in 365 days from now that we've actually moved the needle an awful lot. So as it relates to sustainability and production, you know, it started with taking a look at like, okay, so how are we recycling? How are we recycling props? How are we recycling the food? How are we recycling the, the wardrobes that we're using? Maybe that was the starting point, but then that quickly evolved into, well, how are we generating power at these shoots? How are we you know, making ourselves more accountable for the power that we used? Are we giving back in some way to negate our carbon footprint? All of these things don't get solved in a day, but if we do something every day, it's going to get a whole lot better down the road. Yeah, I like that because I'm sure it's easy to get overwhelmed in those moments because oh, yeah. there's so many pieces to put together, especially if you're on some kind of remote location and you're just trying to get the job done, get the shots you need. You're not always thinking about, oh, well, the food or the <laughs> all these little yeah. bits and pieces, but it adds up. And it's it's interesting because our clients tend to have really ambitious carbon neutral targets. They've all fallen in line and that's great. And we've become by necessity supporters of those targets that they have. And we embrace that. So, you know, we have to rethink the way that we're behaving. If we, if we even, you know, have ambitions to get close to some of those targets, because some of them are really ambitious. And it's sort of, I think, I feel like it, when you boil it down to the day-to-day -day versus we have to be carbon neutral by 2030, it just feels a lot more digestible and a whole lot easier to achieve when you do that. Yeah. Great advice for leaders out there. When you have high ambitions, when you have big goals, still take it one day at a time and take yeah. it down into manageable chunks. So what was your first job and how did it influence your leadership today? Well, my first job out of university was uh, with a small advertising agency in Toronto. And it was a Looking back on it, it was a fascinating experience and, and a great way for me as a young guy entering the business to cut my teeth because they were small. I think maybe there were 20 of us in the agency. It wasn't, uh, wasn't huge and we dealt with mostly regional clients. 
I was not only the account handler, but I was also the project manager. At times, I was a producer. I was dealing with media. I was dealing with public relations. I was dealing with advertising. And it really, it really taught me to be kind of jack of all trades. And I don't want to say master of none because I'd like to think I've mastered a few things. But <laughs> you mastered something along the way, yeah. But no, it really, it really taught me a lot of a lot of different skills and disciplines. And in fact, it, like I think it's influenced me throughout my career because my the aperture I put on my role in the whole marketing mix is very broad. And I think that been informed by that early experience, like you have to take a look at the different perspectives and the way your clients are seeing things, the way your employees are seeing things, the way the crew that you've hired are seeing things. I think that that early experience really helped inform the way I manage that. So it sounds like you're a fan of getting your hands dirty and doing the job from different angles so you can really understand how all, how all the pieces fit together. I love it. I love that. I think that it's so much of what we do. And I say we as a general kind of working population is problem solving. And I love getting in there and helping to solve those problems. Sometimes they're easy and sometimes they're really, really meaty and difficult and you get it wrong. But so what? You figure it out the next time. When's the time putting that problem solving hat on uh, came in handy? I think it's dealing with a lot of things I'm dealing with right now. Like, so I run a network of studios around the world. And we had spent several years trying to align those studios using the same processes, the same technologies. And it really, that really paid off, but it was a long, tough slog doing that. And I talked about the, the perspectives, like we really had to think about how does this feel for a studio down in Santiago? I'm sitting here in New York telling them, this is what we think you should do. Does it work for them? Does it work for their mix of clients? They may have more retail clients that what we came up with doesn't work for. So I think, you know, looking at all those perspectives has really, really kind of made us stronger and, and actually made us really challenge ourselves to find the best solution. We didn't just go in and go, hey, we found it. Here we go. We really kind of challenged ourselves to go, hey, is there a better way? And yeah, I love that. that. So many times corporate, whether they realize it or not, they are on the ivory tower and they make a decision and then just roll it out. And then they wonder, why didn't this go very well? <laughs> a lot of the time, just because they didn't get the perspectives from the beginning to ensure its success. I've had a couple occasions in my career where you know, I moved away from the ivory tower and you know, I, either I went to work on client side for a while or I went to uh, you know, run offices in, in a local market. And it's amazing the different perspectives you get on you know, the usage cases and you know, how, to, how to manage certain problems. I don't know. I consider myself lucky to have been exposed to all of that because, as I said, for me, it's all about aperture. It's about looking at the different perspectives and finding the best solution. So what's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why do you think it's so important? Super easy. Curiosity. I wish people would ask more questions and not for the sake of asking questions because that wouldn't be productive, but to really kind of try and explore new ways, think of new opportunities, you know, really challenge the conventions of things. I think curiosity is by far the most valuable trait that anybody can have. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? 
you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So if you came in tomorrow into your New York City office and this and this curiosity trait had really been instilled in all your employees, how do you think it would show up from just a walking around standpoint or your interaction standpoint? Well, creativity, I think, is at the heart of it sits at the heart of creativity. I think we would and we do encourage it. Uh, we, we would be coming up with strong innovations. We'd be coming up with different ways to solve our clients' problems. You know, sometimes it's very easy to take a brief from a client or respond to a request for a proposal. And it's there in front of you. They've kind of laid out the framework. The harder thing to do is to say, I think we might go a little different way and answer it this kind of way. A lot of times that probably won't work for you. But when it does, and you find somebody who's receptive to that different kind of thinking, and you thought it through properly, I think that's where the killer ideas come from. Yeah, it's a great creative strategy for all those people out there, especially when you're facing a challenge. Get curious, ask questions, and be open to feedback. I mean, that's one of the things that I think curiosity yeah. often gets shortchanged is when you're taking feedback and you're not curious, it's so easy to go on the defensive and not be open to that from a client or from a friend. But if you're curious, like, hey, tell me more about that. That's interesting. And kind of force yourself into that question mode to get curious. You can, you can get a lot more from it oftentimes. I think that's really, really smart, actually, that, you know, the feedback plays such an important role in that. You're right. So we often work with leaders around the catastrophic cost of turnover, which our research shows can cost over $235,000 per year per employee. And in the creative industry, this has got to be a big number too. Do you think this is something that leaders should be tracking inside their organizations? Absolutely. Like there's no, no doubt the cost of replacing people is enormous. The value of keeping them is so much better. Look, turnover happens. I think an important thing you can do there is, is learn from your turnover as well. You know, take the time to, to do those exit interviews and find out what the good, bad, and ugly was about the, the culture, the way we work, you know, use that to inform the next occasion so that you're not losing that employee. I think that's really important. Turnover's tough particularly right now. I think a lot of people are have been inspired by a lot of movements in the market and are looking for new opportunities. It's going to happen, right? But I think learning from it is as important as trying to prevent it. Yeah. I like, I like that quote, learn from your turnover. Yeah. A lot of times uh, the problem is it's so easy to put the problem on the employee or maybe that just wasn't the right fit, but it maybe it's a, that's an opportunity to learn something deeper about your organization and how things work. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think it's also a good way to learn about the, the, what do I call it? The pulse of the market. The reasons people are leaving to go to other opportunities sometimes gives you a window into what else is happening outside of your own culture. That's equally as valuable. So when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? So years ago, we were presenting an idea, a really, really big idea about creating some branded content for, for one of our clients. It was an idea we had worked months on, had developed storyboards, had developed, it was an animation idea. So we had developed characters and we'd even gone so far as animating these characters all in, all in aid of the cell. We hadn't even had buy-in from this yet. We were just going to go sell it, but we knew it was big. We knew it was solid. 
And the day that I was jumping on a plane to go present it, we had found out that the client was not open to any ideas in this territory. And we had literally had worked four or five months on trying to prepare oh, this. How it was painful. Big. And it was beautiful. I, I actually, I still have the pitch book, which I look through every now and then. I'm just like, oh, this would have, but here's the thing is it taught me the value of a, a great idea. And I still have that pitch book, not because I'm going to resell it, rebadge it or reskin it. But it reminds me that when you have a really, really powerful idea, even when you're pushing things uphill, you got to keep going because that would have been an amazing idea. I never got to produce it. It was a wonderful idea. I wish I could tell you what it was, but that would that would reveal too much. But you just got to keep pushing because I don't want too many more of those pitch books ever sitting on my desk to remind me. So in that moment, you look, you look back at that, you're like, man, if I would have kept pushing with that, it might have become a reality. Do you think you gave up a little too soon on it? Or no, it was it the... was a pretty it was a pretty definitive. This is not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to work. Okay, but it sort of lit that fire a little bit when you know you've got something that's special, something that's going to change the market and really engage with clients, which is ultimately what our job is in advertising: is to make sure we're creating engaging content. This was a winner, and we didn't get to do it, but. Every opportunity I have now to concept or sell or produce something like mm -hmm. that, I give it my all because that it was a horrible feeling not to be able to win that. Yeah, what it reminds me of is sometimes we have difficult, challenging experiences that we go through and they do result in failure or just kind of mediocre outcome, but it's who we become in that process that prepares us for the next big opportunity. It sounds like you had everybody on a big push to do that. And so they had to you know, really level up their game and swing big and maybe didn't win that deal. But I suspect a lot of the skills and just that inner confidence of what's possible probably prepared you for something on down the road. You nailed it there, actually. It's the what's possible. And that just kind of eats at you. You're like, I can make this possible. I can go do this. Yes. It's going to be amazing and we're going to go do it. And that's for me, that's why I work in advertising. I love that rush of it. So yeah, that, that was uh, an unfortunate experience, but you, know, you, you pivot it and you turn it into a learning experience. Well, it's such a real experience and people that are in sales that are in the creative world, in my world where you know, I'm working, maybe uh, I'm working on a, like a training program for an organization and man, it's just, and I've had multiple times where I'm like, this is going to be the perfect fit. And it's, and it, and it makes me dig deep and it makes me really put on my creative sort of mindset about how I can reach people and whatnot. And sometimes it just doesn't happen, but you can bet I'm going to be using a lot of that same mindset on the next thing. And if you don't have those that challenges, you know, you never get there. But that rush when it does happen, right? Like that's unbeatable. So good. Yeah. Cloud nine. Yeah, exactly. Nine. Great. No, I love that. I love that. A lot of great learning in there. Thanks for sharing that with us. Sort of starting to wind this up a little bit. What are three success strategies that all employees need to be keeping in mind? I think one of them is the world is moving so fast that you need to be prepared to be dynamic. I look at the metaverse and the conversations going on around the metaverse right now. and how that has gained velocity over the last, let's even call it six months. It's been around a lot longer than that. But over the last six months, we've got a lot of people talking about the metaverse and NFTs and what am I going to do in that space? 
you better be prepared to be dynamic and be prepared to change traditional behaviors to meet up with new opportunities. That's definitely one of them. Second one I would say is uh, listen, listen more than you speak. I think a, a lost art, people who are able to listen and identify the real issues that are being faced by whether it's their clients or their employees or even their family, I think that there's real value in taking a deep breath and listening. You get a lot more out of that than mm-hmm. speaking. You know, it's so funny listening to that. A lot of times leaders think that leading is speaking. And it's sometimes even, <laughs> it sometimes it feels weird as a leader. You're like, wait, I'm in this meeting. I do an awful lot of listening. Also, I, I feel like sometimes leaders don't like to listen too much because they they think listening is agreeing. And if like your direct reports or someone that's sort of lower in the organization, maybe newer, they're speaking a lot. You're like, oh man, I do not agree with this, 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 this. It's hard to sit there and continue to listen, especially when you don't agree. You ever had those moments? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think listening also allows you to do to evaluate. Give yourself some time to think things through before you're throwing out your thoughts or your opinions. But definitely listening is something I I hold very true to uh, my management style anyway. Is that something that you you came upon sort of later in your career or have you always been sort of a listen first leader or how did it evolve for you? I actually think it came from my parents. So you know, just the upbringing that you need to hear, hear people out, hear their perspectives before jumping to conclusions. I think that, that, that came from far earlier than my career. I think it's great to have role models like that. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. The third point is I think probably, what do I call it? Test and learn. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You're not going to get it perfect. Nobody does. And it's okay to get it a little bit wrong, not too wrong, but a little bit wrong. So long as you're drawing from that, learning the lessons and and applying it the next time, like slightly related to that, I years ago read a book that was written by Lee Iacocca, Chrysler fame. And he talked about, you know, for every 10 decisions you make, three are going to be wrong. But at least with the seven that you got mostly right, you're moving the dial forward. I kind of, I really love that. I think like you're not going to be perfect. Things will go wrong. Learn from that, but also keep moving forward. Keep moving forward with the decisions that you're making. So what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? Wow. Well, I've just discovered the Oculus. All right. You I said Metaverse I earlier. So I can't tell you that it's contributed. I can't tell you it's uh, contributed to my success yet, but that is a mind-blowing tool ability through that device to take you into a different place, a different space, a different mindset is, uh, there aren't that many things that have blown my mind in my life. That is definitely one of them. It's, uh, it's really, really powerful, but being far more analog than that, I like to write everything down and I will say a notebook that is maybe not as interesting and as cutting edge as a lot of people might want me to be, but I still find the, the, the art of writing everything down, being able to refer back to it. I find that to be a really powerful tool for me personally. I know it's very analog and not sexy, but. Gives us full, the the full spectrum here. (laughs) I went from an Oculus to a notebook. notebook. There's that. So an Oculus for those listeners who haven't experienced it, how would you describe it to them if they're not familiar with it? Uh, Oculus is uh, three dimensional virtual reality goggles that you put on. 
there are several versions of them out there. Oculus happens to be the one that's made by Meta. But And with these goggles, you really get to immerse yourselves into different spaces. For an example, my boot up space, when I go into this Oculus, I am on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. And I literally look left and I can see things and I look right, I look above and I look behind. And I am, I feel like I'm on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. It's amazing. Amazing. It's going to change all the rules. Wow. Which ties into your first success strategy, which is be prepared to be dynamic, which I suspect too was probably influenced by your Oculus experience. <laughs> yeah. I know it's probably, coming. Get ready. Probably. Whenever you said your notebook, is there a specific kind of notebook that you like to use or is it just what's ever around? <laughs> no, it's usually what's ever around. And are you, you have, have a certain methodology of taking notes or are you just kind of scratching them down as they come to you? Or I have uh, symbols within how I take notes. So I have action items, I have questions, I have responsibilities that whenever I have a bullet point or something, I will put a symbol beside it that will indicate to me, here's something you have to go do, or here's a question you need to follow up on because you weren't quite clear on it. So that's how I work my way through my day and through my week. And when you fill up a notebook, do you file it? Like in Simon's library, or do you just chunk it after that? I have them all and they all sit up in my attic and I have them for years and years. When I lived in the UK, I used to be able to buy a really thick one from a, a shop called Paper Chase there. And it was great because it would last me pretty much the full year. So I could have like a year on year book. I go through multiples now, but surprising for me as much as it is you that we're talking about notebooks right now. Hey, I think that's great. I think the listeners are into that, you know, that because, you know, there is so much move towards digital organization and digital notes, but the problem that I often find and a lot of people find is that it's out of sight, out of mind. Once it, you know, you put it in something on your, on your phone or on your computer, you have to go search it or find it. And something about having it on a notebook in front of you, I think is a, is a great reminder and kind of helps keep you focused. How, how do you find it to be so? It is, in fact, it's a bit like a modern day journal as well, because it's got my thoughts in there. I'm sure if anybody picked it up, they wouldn't really make heads or tails out of what is in there, but it's my way of communicating back to myself over time. Yeah. I love it. Simon, a parting thought for the listeners. I loved our conversation we just had about being curious. You know, for me, there's so much happening out there, whether in production space, we're talking about, you know, virtual production, we're talking about the metaverse, we're talking about sustainability, we're talking about diversity and inclusion in production, you know, be curious, take on different perspectives, and uh, it goes a long way. Great advice. Thanks, Simon. All right. Thanks very much. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.